Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. Pastor Joel continues our study in the book of Psalms. We're in Psalm 24 with the message, The Song of Victory. So we're in a series uh, in the book of Psalms, and we're nearing the the end of it. Uh, Today we come to Psalm 24, if you want to look in your Bible, Psalm 24. Uh, Originally it was thought, or it's thought by, by many, that this psalm is about the bringing up of the ark to the tabernacle by David in, in Zion. Though, uh, to be honest, this psalm is so much more complicated than just truncated down to that. There's something more going on here. There's something spirit-inspired. This isn't just a historical psalm where David's recording some things on it. This psalm has been breathed out by the spirit. And, and this is what Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, says. The eye of the psalmist looked, however, beyond the typical upgoing of the ark. He saw something more going on here, to the sublime ascension of the king of glory. The ascension of the king of glory. So uh, if you wouldn't mind as we begin the message this morning, I'd like to have you uh, stand as I read Psalm 24. Psalm 24, a psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this uh, psalm that invites us in to, to meditate, to chew upon, to see the King of glory entering into your presence. Lord, would you allow us to see this psalm correctly? Would you open our eyes that we could see you? Would you open our ears, Lord, that the words that were communicated through your servant David by the Holy Spirit would would speak to us? And Lord, would our hearts become soft, so that as we hear your word, we would respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, we, actually, we actually find ourselves uh, in Psalm 24 at the end of uh, this collection of psalms. If you've been with us, you've, you've seen uh, that the Psalter who compiled these has put some of these songs together for a purpose. Uh, we saw 15 through 24 form this chiasm, this like literary mountain where Psalm 19 was in the middle, but Psalm 24 was uh, the end of that chiasm. But even within that, Psalm 22, 23, and 24 uh, form like this uh, special section that one builds off of the other one. Uh, psalm 22, we saw it's been several weeks ago now. Uh, this is the song that Jesus even sung as he's on the cross. You might remember the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? It's the cry of Jesus on the cross. And if you continue reading the psalm, you you realize, well, he hadn't forsaken him. He was right there with him. He He had saved him. Uh, Psalm 22 is really a a song uh, of the cross of the crucifixion. But then we get to Psalm 23, as we saw last week. Psalm 23 is really the song of this shepherd, or the title is king, uh, who has been restored back to life, who is going to return to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, So we have really this resurrection uh, song of this king who's been given life, who's going to return to the the house of the Lord, and dwell there for forever. And then Psalm 24, we actually have uh, this king, this one going up on the, on the mountain to, to dwell in the hill. So Psalm 22, 23, and 24, they, they form this beautiful symmetry of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully you're beginning to see this, the death, resurrection, and ascension. So today we're going to see the song of, of ascension, the song of victory in Psalm 24. But before we get there, I, I want to illustrate, I want to set up this message by telling you the story of another conquering uh, king from uh, just a couple hundred years ago. Uh, in 1805, there was this little French guy uh, named Napoleon, uh, who was conquering most of Europe, uh, was just going around. And this guy, he wasn't a nice guy. Uh, he, I think he had this like short complex because he was never, it was just never enough for him. And no one liked him. He distrusted everyone. He hated women. Uh, and as he's going around battling through Europe, he wins this battle of Austerlitz, uh, against this huge uh, army of Russians who had come in to Austria, and they were going to f- fight with them. Well, Napoleon was a genius, especially in military things, so he routed this Russian army and got them to flee. So this whole army is fleeing, and they're fleeing across these frozen lakes in, in Austria, and he says, hey, fire all the cannons right now. So they fire all the cannons, and it breaks this frozen ice, and twenty to 30,000 Russian soldiers drowned in the frozen lake. Well, at least that's what he said. <laughs> 20,000 to 30,000 Russians drowning in uh, this lake. Uh, this, this man who was uh, bitter, had so many complexes, uh, was, was afraid of losing power, was afraid of looking weak, uh, was, a, was a hypochondriac, was an, just angry, isolated, alone. He was cheated on by his wife, so he didn't trust any women whatsoever. Uh, this guy said twenty to 30,000 uh, men had died. Well, the historians actually say it was probably more like 200. <laughs> but if you were close to Napoleon, would you have said, like, wait a minute, that number doesn't sound right? Like, <laughs> just let him believe what he wants to believe, right? Uh, 
Well, when he did that, he called it his greatest victory ever. And he sent word back to Paris and said, I want you to build me the biggest ark there is. This ark that's going to be this ark of victory and triumph. That The picture in, in his head was that I will come back to Paris with my army behind me and, and victory and all the French people will come out cheering for me and I'll pass under this arch and I'll go to uh, the fields of Valicia, which is like paradise, the Champs-Élysées. Uh, I'll go to that field of paradise and that's where I'll finally have peace and victory through it all. Well, uh, Amy and I were actually able to go to um, the Arc de Triomphe uh, when we were visiting uh, France. Have anyone of you been there? So you get to, get to the Arc and it is chaos because there are 12 streets all going to the Arc de Triomphe and there's no lines and the right of way goes to the people entering the, the roundabout. So you're waiting for everyone who's entering the roundabout. There's cars everywhere. It is just pure uh, chaos. We have a video of it, but I don't know where it's at. We have a video of, it, of us just laughing as we're going around this arc uh, several, several times. This arc of triumph, of victory that Napoleon commissioned to build. But here's the ironic thing. The, the arc took 30 years to build. Uh, and Napoleon died long before that. He never got to pass under his arc. Uh, there was always one more battle one more fight, one more army. Uh, there was, he was always just a little more. He was never satisfied until he was finally beaten at the Battle of Waterloo against this compilation of other armies as well. Napoleon he searched his whole life for victory, and he ultimately fell short. He never returned victorious. He never found peace. It was never enough. And as we turn our attention now to Psalm 24, we're going to see that victory is only found in Jesus. That's the only place you'll be able to find it, the true conquering king. And like many of us, we sometimes feel like Napoleon because there's always, we want to experience that victory, that we want to conquer things. We want arches built for us. I did this. We want to build a monument, and a lot of it is if we're honest, is to seek our own glory. Look what I've done. We get this trophy for participating in things. I mean, you might even feel like, boy, I've beaten that addiction. I've gotten the promotion that I always wanted. I finally paid off the debt, and I'm free now. But the struggle to remain there, if you're honest, is exhausting. And you worry, what if? What if the next challenge I fail? What if I don't have what it takes? What if nobody notices? What if I get injured or, or health things come up? And, and so to stay at the top of the mountain is, is, is just exhausting and, and, and leaves you weary. Or you could be on the other side of it this morning. Maybe you are feeling like, yeah, I'm just defeated. There's no, there's no way that I'd ever feel victory in this life. I mean, I was dealt a horrible hand. I have a bad relationship, so my family has given me a horrible thing. We're in, we're in just a horrible situation. I'm dealing with this health things. How could I ever experience victory? How do you ever experience victory in Jesus? Well, what's that even look like? 
That brings us back to our text this morning as we, we're going to journey along with this true king as he enters into the presence of God. This true king that has triumphed over chaos, sin, death, evil, to sit on the throne on the mountain of the Lord. And he's going to invite you and me, all of us, to come celebrate his victory. Now, this psalm, it's actually, I thought it was easy until I started studying it. And then it became one of the most complicated psalms that I've, I've read. So just to be honest with you, I'm going to give you my best attempt at it. But there have been scholars for hundreds of years who don't agree on what's going on in this psalm. So, so I'm, just going to t- I'm going to tell you uh, kind of where I got to and leave it up to you to like explore further and meditate on. Uh, I'm not Jesus, but I'm sure looking forward to meet him and when we get to heaven and go, okay, explain to me this, uh, this psalm. So I'm standing up here not as Jesus and as a fellow person following Jesus, uh, just have grace with me as we go through this. There, there are three sections in this psalm, if you want to uh, look down, uh, three sections that all scholars agree upon. There's, there's verses 1 and 2, then 3 through 6, and then 7 through 10, and each of them have very distinct uh, uh, distinctness about each one of those that even some people are like, well, maybe these are three psalms that they put together, which I don't believe that to be true at all, and those commentaries are kind of out there. Uh, so how do you put these three sections of the Psalms together? And, and you can read commentator after commentator of how they're trying uh, to do this. The best way I think we can do that is by seeing Psalm 24 in a story. So I want to tell you the story of Psalm 24, a, a story of a victorious king returning from battle. It, it's actually a miniature of the story of the Bible, uh, we start Psalm 24 at the very beginning, just like we start uh, in the Bible. Uh, the, the beginning when all there is is darkness and chaotic waters. It's not a place for life. Something must be done in order for life to flourish in this place. Someone has to hold back the darkness. Someone has to subdue the, the, the chaotic, angry waters. Who has enough power to do that? Well, the Spirit of God is hovering over those waters, and God begins to speak. And he holds back the darkness, and see, he subdues the, the water so that he uses what is, what is chaotic and unformed, and he, and he forms it. He, he separates the light from the darkness, calling one day and one night. He separates the water below from the water above and calls the middle sky. He gathers the water on the third day so that dry land appears. You can almost see him shaping mountains and scooping out valleys where all the water will run and collect. He gathers the water so that dry land appears. It's a place for life now. He raises the mountains. And then he fills the skies with birds and the oceans and the waters with with fish and the land animals and uh, people on the dry ground. And then if you you can picture it in your mind, there's one mountain that rises far above all the other mountains, the mountain where God chose to dwell with his creation, a place where heaven overlapped earth, this cosmic temple where, where God would dwell with his creation. 
But because of sin and rebellion, there was separation. The first people were forced to leave this mountain, this dwelling place of the Lord, to live outside of God's presence, even though God would continually pursue them. And the promise, the hope, even since the very beginning, was that there would come one man, one day, the the seed of the woman who would restore the relationship that would allow people to go back up the mountain to have a a life of, of love and redemption and forgiveness in every generation that has lived. In their hearts, I'm sure they were asking the same question that our psalmist poses today. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can do that? Who can stand in the presence of the God of all creation? We've all sinned. Who can ascend? And then the answer comes back. Well, here's the description of the one who can ascend. The person with with clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't lift up his his life to anything that is, is false. Uh, Who who can ascend this mountain? It's almost like putting um, Moses and Mount Sinai in the backdrop, but only these aren't the Ten Commandments. It's almost like this person who can ascend has taken the commands of the Lord and internalized them. So not only what he does and what he says and where he goes is right, but his heart and his mind and his actions are, are pure. This one who can ascend the mountain then reflects God's character in what the Bible calls glory. Not only does he not murder, he doesn't have any hatred in his heart. Not only does he not commit adultery, he looks on everyone with worth and honor. He doesn't lust. This is the one who will ascend the mountain of the Lord. And, and now on that place, on that mountain of the Lord, in God's dwelling place, in, in the presence of the Lord, he's, he said he's going to receive blessing from the Lord in this righteousness. So God is glorified. And this one who comes up has a, has a seat at the right hand of the throne of God. He does nothing wrong and everything he does is right. Does this sound like Napoleon to you? Well, the obvious answer is no. He's, he's horrible. Uh, what about other leaders that you can think of? Any, any other leaders that you're like, oh, yeah, this dude, is he doesn't do anything wrong. Everything he does is right. He, he represents the glory of God. Any, well, how about you? Is that you? If it is, talk to me afterwards. <laughs> we got a little confessional booth over there. <laughs> and we'll, we'll make it all. We'll make it all right. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is that not, none of us have, have, have conquered every uh, challenge in front of us. We, we haven't conquered, uh, completely like triumphed over jealousy or greed or lust or anger or insecurities. There's always another battle to fight. So, so we're left asking, right along with the psalmist 3,000 years ago, who shall ascend? We're searching for him right along with every other generation that's out there. Who who is this person? Who can ascend? Who can conquer sin and death? Who can restore a right relationship with our God? I want to slow down now. 
kind of jump out of the story a little bit, but I want to focus on just one verse. Verse 6. You can look down in your Bibles in verse 6. There's something that changes in this verse from uh, the rest of the verses that come before that. And I just, want to, I just want to slow down and look at it. Verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And Selah or Silu. Nobody knows what that word means. Some people, it's some kind of musical term, but most scholars believe it's, it's just a, a, it's a word that says you need to slow down at this point. Don't just keep reading ahead. Stop, pause, consider what it is that we're saying here. Verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Uh, seek who? The, the generation, or, or it's actually uh, the lifetime of all people and all times. So it's like the people that from the very beginning in David's time and your time, they're all seeking him. Who, who, who's, the, who's him? And there's some ambiguity in the psalm. And you're like, well, I would think it's seeking God, but if you look at the subject of verses 3 through 5, it's, it's all about the question that he's asking, who can ascend? And then it's all he, 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 he. It's the singular masculine, this one who can ascend. Uh, so such is the, the people through all generations, all times, who, who seek this one who can climb the mountain, who, who can ascend, who can be in God's presence. And then it goes as if the one who is who's seeking him is actually seeking the face of God. Now, everyone knows you can't see God's face and, and live. So how do you seek the face of God? Well, the, seeking the face of God is actually this idea or this term. I mean, we say it, well, let's sit down and have a face-to-face. What's, what's that mean? That doesn't mean I'm going to call you or I'm going to text you. It means I want to be right there in front of you. I want to have this intimate personal relationship with you. The, the, the generations of them who seek him, I, I believe the one that's going up on the mountain, are actually seeking the face, this intimate relationship with the God of Jacob. Now one more observation about this, about this verse. So stick, stick with me because this makes uh, a lot of difference. And uh, if, you, if you understood the Hebrew, it would clear things up, I think, a little bit uh, for you. In this verse, there are two seeks. Uh, but both seeks are different words in Hebrew and carry a little bit different connotations. So put your thinking caps on just a little bit. Just stay with me for a minute here. The, the first seek, uh, the generations of those who seek him, that, that word seek is actually means to look with care, to investigate, to inquire about. Blessed are this group of people through all times who are wondering who could this be? Who are actually looking into it? They're like the special detectives of the Bible. They, we, who, is looking, who is looking into who this could be? That generation of those who are seeking him or who are asking the questions that we saw in verse 3. Who can ascend the hill? Then we get to the second seek, the word seek, the second part of verse 6. Uh, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The, and then you all like the God of Jacob. What, sometimes it feels like in the Bible, there's like words are thrown in, like people thrown in there. Like where'd Jacob come from? 
Why are we seeking the God of Jacob now? Jacob name means deceiver. So why didn't it say the God of Israel or something? Why, why Jacob here? Well, I think the term and the meaning of the word seek in Hebrew here will help us understand. This word seek means to discover or to demand or to request or to possess. The, the idea is that you, you're looking for something and when you find it, you reach your hands out and you possess it. You won't let it, you won't let it go until maybe your eyes are finally opened and then you can see it. Or, or maybe your hip is finally dislocated from its side. To seek, to hold, to demand, to inquire, to hold on to it. The generations of those who, who seek and inquire about who is this person who can restore a relationship between humanity and God. Who is that person? And then when, when, when they find him, the one worth climbing the mountain, they, they grab onto him and they don't let go. And then they receive a blessing, a, a blessing like Jacob received. Now, now Jacob, uh, the receive a blessing like Jacob, Jacob was not, he was not known for his uh, pure of hands or clean of hands and pure of heart. He, he was... He did not receive a blessing for how good he was. Uh, you would not say, oh, Jacob could ascend the mountain. He's really good. He received a blessing because he sought for the God, Yahweh, the creator, and when he found him, we held on to him. He says, this is all I got. And when he found him, he discovered the face of God, this intimate face-to-face -face meeting with Yahweh. Now, there are places in all of us where insecurities, addictions, fear, sin, they, they rise up and, and, and they move us to try and ascend the hill on our own to seek our own glory. We want to build our own arch. But I think what the psalm is telling us this morning is that it's not because you're perfect or that you've done everything right. Even if you've come in here this morning, you're like, I've messed my life up. I'm glad you're here because all of us have and all that we have is to hold on to the one who's worthy of ascending the mountain. Psalm tells us we don't have to be perfect. We have to hold on to the one who is. Who you seek in the morning and look for throughout the day. It's, it's, like, it's like finding a refuge in the one who has been blessed. The king who went out to battle, and he battled sin and death and shame, and he came out victorious on the other side. Who conquered the enemy and is able to ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in the presence of God. And before I read this last section, section verses 7 through 10, I want you to imagine with me, uh, if you will, this, this picture that you have uh, in the head that we, that we started with. Imagine standing at the Ark de Triumph. This king has gone out to battle for you, to protect you from slavery or certain death. He's gone out and he's won. He's gained victory for you. And then he's coming back. And you're going to meet them there at this Arc de Triomphe, the, the Arc of Triumph, the Arc of Victory. And the word goes out to the streets. The king's coming back. 
He's victorious. He's won. The king is coming back. And so you all, everyone rushes out of their house to meet him, to, to join in the parade, to see the king go through the arc of triumph, of victory, to, to, to bring in and usher in peace and well-being once and for all. The wars are over. He's won. And as you're in that crowd, you would strain to see, would you not? Who is this king? Who is the one that's, that's fought on my behalf? You go out of the city to, to welcome him back, not to stay out there, but to welcome him back as he comes into the city and ascends to the throne. And you can hear the chants of the people welcoming him back. The king who has won their victory and their hearts as well. Listen in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who's the king of glory? It's the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? It's Yahweh. It's the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. He is the king of glory. And once again, we get another Selah. Let's slow down. Let's stop. Let's, let's chew on what we just read. Crowds are yelling, open the gates, lift up your heads, he's here. That's a very interesting phase. We talked about it in Rooted Connection this morning. We didn't know doors had heads, but it's probably the top half of the door, and it's probably something about open up. But more than just like, it could have just said, open the gates, it's this poetic term that, that really uh, personifies these gates as the ones who, you know, you lift, lift your head up high. Be proud. Don't walk with your head down. You've got something to celebrate. You've got something to rejoice in. Get your head up. It's, it's personifying. Gates, open up. Because the one coming to you has beaten everyone. He's victorious. Get your head up. Well, this line is repeated, verse 7 and verse 9. Uh, to lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient uh, doors. Ancient doors. It's telling the same thing, like this proud, this open up, uh, these ancient doors. And there's a, who knows what these ancient doors are? Because if it's the tabernacle, David has just brought it there. And so these aren't ancient doors. And in fact, the tabernacle doesn't even have doors. They have a tent flap. So what are these ancient doors. Uh, well, the, the, word, the word here, I mean, it is ancient, but it it's, means like enduring or everlasting doors. There's something about this mountain of the Lord that there has been uh, a door there established from forever, long ago, that this king is finally coming into and to sit on his throne. It's, it's like there was on this mountain, it would be like there was a, a temple there that you maybe you couldn't see, but was there nonetheless, was like a real temple of, of the God of creation who's subdued the waters, who's pushed back the darkness and has established his throne on this mountain. And this, this person, this king, is coming into that holy temple. That holy temple that's just represented in the temple that will to come. These ancient doors. 
this king who has had victory over chaos and evil, who's the king of glory. The king of glory. Uh, glory is like the weight, the kavod, the, the worthiness of God himself. Who is this king? And then we get that line repeated twice as well in two stanzas in verses 8 and verse 10. Uh, now in English, we, they look pretty much uh, the same. Uh, but there is a, a rise in emphasis uh, in the original language here. It goes, uh, who is this king of glory? And the second time through, it emphasizes, uh, who is he really? Like, really, who is this guy? You can feel, like, if the chance of the crowd, you can see, who is he? Like, really, this guy, who is this king? Who ascended and brought victory? And then the answers are a little bit different, the description of who this king is. In verse 8, it says, it's the Lord. He's strong and mighty, mighty in battle. It's the picture of the king who has come as a warrior and defeated all the enemies. He's defeated death and shame and guilt and chaos and insecurities, any battle that's out there. He's won. He's mighty in battle. And then verse 10, it says he's the Lord of hosts. This idea of this gathering of multitude of people like an army. He's the Lord, the king of this huge army. And so as he's riding into the city, this king, he's got a whole army behind him and he's won. He's beat everything once for all and he's able to ascend to the throne. And then the psalm is inviting you to join in. Who is this king? Who is this king? And in David's time, they would have loved to have been in our time. We know who that king is. We know the one who rode out and defeated death and sin and shame and secured our victory. And if we would seek him and hold on to him, we'd receive blessing. On the other side of this, we see Jesus. It's, it's him. Now, the Hebrew Bible actually ends with a very... Uh, it's a little bit different order than what we have in our Bibles. The Hebrew Bible actually ends with Chronicles. I don't know if you know this, but the end of Chronicles, uh, if you want to flip there, this is a fascinating thing. End of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. This is where the whole of the Old Testament is leading to. So we could spend hours and days searching on who is this ascension of this, this king. But 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 22, this is the end of the Hebrew Bible what the story has all been leading to. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, you know, that one mountain. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord Yahweh his God be with him. Let him go up. The story of the Hebrew Bible is asking this question, who can do this? Who can bring salvation? If God is with him, let him go up on the mountain. And from that position of security, what Jesus says, the great a high priest and king, he is now saying, come up. If the Lord is with you, you can come up. He's secured the victory. He has ascended in victory through the power 
of the death and resurrection of the King. The only question is, what are you seeking? What, what are you holding on to for, for hope? What are, you, what are you looking for? Well, on this day, this Pentecost Sunday, the disciples were to remain on that mountain so that they could receive power when the Holy Spirit would come on them. And as they did that, they would gather together and they would remember uh, this last supper of the Lord. They would break bread together, remembering this feast of victory. As we come to the Lord's table now, in celebration of our great king who has won the victory, uh, the elements then are not just um, powerless. The elements are powerful. The blood that we'll celebrate in the, in the cup is his life that overcame death. His body broken for us, paid the penalty of our sin and shame so that we don't have to carry that anymore. We celebrate celebrate all this victory at the king's table where victory is secured. That's great news, right? If you've come here this morning and you are feeling weary because you have been struggling to maintain the top of the mountain, would you just rest? Would, would you just let it go? And would you hold on to the one who has secured the victory in Jesus? I'm going I'm to pray, and then we're going to have uh, the servers come forward, and they're going to serve uh, the elements out. There'll be some music going on in the meantime. And I just, I just want to, uh, I'll ask you during that time to, to just reflect, uh, to celebrate, to let go, to see this as a victory not in what you've done, but what Christ has done and he can do through you. So that the victory is not in you walking through the Arc de Triomphe victoriously, but that he has done it once and for all. Let me, let me pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll have you go. Lord, thank you so much for securing the victory, for laying your life down on the cross. Not that you had done anything wrong, but that you are perfectly holy and righteous, and you're the one that could ascend the hill to stand before the Lord, and you laid your perfect righteous life down as a substitute for us. And then you were resurrected three days later, defeating death and the power that, the, of the fear that we could have if we didn't have you, Lord. So, so would we rest secure in the triumph and the victory that you have secured through your death and resurrection this morning? And we remember that through the bread and the cup. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That night before Jesus was betrayed and crucified and killed, he got his disciples together to celebrate the Passover meal. Uh, and really it would have been, I think, a little bit confusing for them. But I think what Jesus was trying to do was saying, I have overcome there's victory on the other side of this. The, the chaotic waters and the darkness that you feel will be overcome by my death and resurrection. So he took the bread and he broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. He had paid the price for our sin and given us forgiveness. 
a reason to celebrate. But not that, after the meal, he took the cup, this cup of redemption, of, of buying back, of, of new life, of new covenant. And he said, this is, this is the cup that represents my blood and new covenant given for you. Drink of this, all of you, in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, as we remember the great king, Jesus, fully God, fully man, who was able to ascend the hill and secure our victory through his death and resurrection. Lord, would you allow us not to be puffed up and proud and think we can do it on our own, but would you allow us to have humility and repentance to see that you are the only one, that it's through, it's through you that we can receive life and victory. And Lord, uh, if there's anyone even here this morning that hasn't done that yet, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't leave here without uh, talking to someone, surrendering that, and giving uh, their life and an honor over to you, the, the great king, so they could become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that we could live victorious lives in this world, that the burdens and, and, carries, uh, and worries that we have that we've carried into this place, that we would be able to lay down now because of you. And Lord, as we come to worship, I pray that that's what, exactly what we'll do. We'll be able to, to lay down our sin and our shame at the foot of the cross and receive forgiveness and victory in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212, between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.